Welcome to Blackstone Irregulars. I'm Holly Blackstone again, and this is episode three of my podcast. We all have stories in us, part two, and this is going to be a bit of a longer episode. So sit down, grab something to drink, and I hope you enjoy it. So last podcast, I talked about how to get ideas, what to think about to get the silhouette of a story. This episode, I want to talk to you about fleshing out the story a bit more. But before that, I thought maybe I should talk about why, why would you want to listen to me? Why would you want to consider the suggestions I have to make about being published and ways that you can write and develop a story? So, I mean, clearly you don't have to. I'm only an independent author. I've published, if you're not familiar with my work, I've published 10 novels, full-length novels, 70,000 words or more. And I have one more that I'm editing currently. I also compiled my first series, the Liliana Bachelor series, into a compendium. And I have that in a single volume on Amazon. I've had some success. My first book was profitable. And overall, I am profitable. I have no street team, no friends who review my books. And frankly, (laughs) most of my friends, well, a lot of them, don't even know that I write or what I write. I'm not someone who props themselves up with other people. It's not ethical. And uh, it's against Amazon and other book companies' terms of service. So you don't want to get people to pad your stories anyway, because that's just not honest. I learned, I taught myself how to publish. I, I read a few little articles about publishing sites, um, how to self-publish uh, through publishing sites, what, what to look for, what's important, what different services offered with regard to features. And I made a decision to go uh, to publish directly to Amazon on my own and all other places are published through Lulu, including Barnes & Noble, Google Play, and international booksellers. So I am self-taught <laughs> not to use a corny line from a movie, but it's true. You may wonder why I'm doing this. Why am I talking to you about how to write books? And and people in the writing community are, are sometimes very forthcoming about what they've done and uh, services that they've used, advertising they've used. And other times they hold that very tightly to their chest, but I don't have a problem with there being other authors. For me, books are consumables. People read a lot in their lifetimes. If you're a reader, you don't just read one or two or 10 books. You generally read hundreds and hundreds of books. Uh, one of my readers who I've become friends with in Germany, actually, I, she she goes through multiple books a week. So I think that it's a since it's a consumable, it's, it, we, there's a lot of room for people. There's a lot of room for ideas. There's a lot of room for genres and thoughts and ways of expressing yourself. And by offering you guidance that, I, that maybe I, I would have liked to have, I hope to encourage people who are good, who have a story to tell, who want to write, how to do so, to demystify it a little bit. And that benefits everybody who's a reader. And I'm one of them. I love reading. I wish I had more time for reading. <laughs> I want there to be variety. I want there to be quality and thought and innovation and uniqueness in writing. Um, one of the reasons I write is because I'm picky and I don't often find what I write to, what what I uh, want to read. And if you uh, listen to my first podcast, you know that I read a very, very popular book. You could probably glean from my allusions to it what it was. And I um, just didn't didn't like it, and I'm I'm I am picky. I I want something that's good quality. I want something that's researched. I want something that's grammatically correct. I want something that's interesting. Uh, I don't like something that's just superficial, superficial or top. You know, just just barely scratching the surface. Even if it is erotica or romance, I want a little depth to my characters. I want a little background. I want to. 
I want to see that there's some effort made to draw me in. I'm just not lowest common denominator stuff. And so the more quality people that become involved in writing and the more effort they put into it, the, the, the more everybody benefits. It will rot, will raise everybody up to be, to be frank. I mean, if you set a higher bar in the indie community, people will have to reach that because they'll, there will be other opportunities to, read a good book. So you can put aside the books that you don't like. You can put aside the books that are grammatically incorrect and not edited properly and just are sloppy. And because there is quality there. And I think that's a good thing. So I'm bored with conventional publishing also. That's another reason. Um, I, after a while, it feels like most conventional publishing authors have a very similar voice. I see people on Twitter discussing how uh, certain editors uh, editors don't like certain words or they say such and such is out of vogue where you shouldn't structure sentences a certain way. I guess semicolons, of which I am a, an en- enormous fan of, to be honest, are apparently not very popular now. After a while, that becomes boring. Uh, there's not a lot of variety. Things feel very practiced and, and very methodical. And there's some benefit for that. Maybe uh, you could argue that there's a higher level of quality there. Although I published a, I recently started to read a traditionally published author. She has a deal with a uh, good sized publishing company in New York writing Regency romance. And she made an egregious error regarding the brightness of start that either she or her copy editor could have easily found out. And because I have this weird variety of knowledge about certain things or maybe just an aptitude for knowing what I don't know. I knew that what she said was wrong. And I, I tweeted to her and she said, well, great catch. Well, it's not something that you should have from a traditionally published publisher. There's a, there's a lot of bad discussion. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of slagging that goes on with regard to uh, indie publishers. There, there's a lot of shade thrown at them as if they are lower quality, as if they couldn't possibly be as good as traditional publishers. And one of the, the criticisms that is, often hurled at them is that, well, you're not, you don't have a professional copy editor. You don't have someone who is a professional and this is what they do for a living, looking over your work and telling you, well, this is, this is good. This is not. I mean, we have people who do marketing. We have people who do professional covers. We have people who do professional uh, fact verification and everything. And then, so then, but, but that's not entirely true because you can find books, as I've just mentioned, that are wrong, that have errors in them. And that isn't the only error in her book, but the second one, I was having a little bit more trouble verifying what my understanding of the medical condition was. And so I didn't want to point that out as well. Anyway, I digress quite a bit. I'm sorry. I'm a bit, bit in a talkative mood this evening. So going back to the main focus of this podcast, we all have stories in us. So last podcast, I talked, uh, I, I mentioned that you should ask questions. You should ask questions about your character. You need to think about your character and your story a lot. And I mean a lot. You need to push the story along in your head when you are driving your kids uh, to to soccer practice or music school, uh, you know, music lesson or whatever. When you are lying in bed, maybe, and you have a little bit of a lazy Saturday morning, 10 minutes extra with quiet, think about your characters. Um, also, think about throwing things at your character, situations. How would they respond? How are they going to react if something new comes upon them? It kind of gives you a f- more than just a silhouette. You sort of feel out the three-dimensional edges of your character. 
You know, are they short to temper? Are they not short to temper? Are they patient? Are they always waiting for the other shoe to drop? Those little things. You start feeling like they're actually a real person when you do things like that. So actors have a phrase or a sentence um, that gets them into the mindset of a character or an accent. So consider that when you are thinking about your character and before you start writing. A what what is it about your character? Is it a phrase? Is it a place? Is it an action that they have committed that brings you into feeling that you're writing for that character, that you have a good sense of who, what their voice is and who they are? So with regard to t- telling your story, expression, expressing it, um, your narrator can either be first person, which is the actual person that is going through it, or third person, um, Primarily, uh, there's a second person as well, but it's kind of obtuse. Anyway, so narrators are generally considered in literature reliable or unreliable, and that depends on various factors. I'm not an expert on this, and I can only go into a certain level of detail on it. There is a, a great article when I was doing research for this podcast. There's a great article on Wikipedia describing um, narration, and you can look for it under that heading. And um, get get more information and, and a much clearer idea of where all that's coming from. So I'm just going to gloss over a little bit of that. Unreliable narrators are often, but not always, first-person stories. They are, they can have an interest or motive, something that motivates them that clouds the way that they represent the story that's being told. Now, that can be interesting because it can add a bias that can lead to a twist or a mystery or or you can wonder what their take on it is, but just keep that in mind as well. So that's a, that's a, that's a something that you can use, but it's always uh, also something that um, you should keep in mind if you're telling a story as well, because we're all generally selfish creatures. Uh, we have to be to a certain degree in order to survive in this world, which is competitive, even though we've gotten out of the trees and long ago left the planes behind it 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 biases the way we perceive things and so if you're talking in a first person voice telling a story and maybe it's a story told in about something that happened in the past there there may be some bitterness about that so it's definitely something that you can weave into the story but it's also definitely something that you should keep in mind as you're relating the story uh, unless you want to seem completely dispassionate Third-person voices are often but not always considered fairly reliable because the perspective feels like an observer, someone who's relating the story to you and ostensibly has very little in the way of personal input or uh, stakes in it. So either they are generally omniscient or have a specific viewpoint of a character. And uh, so those are just things to, to further develop the concept of, am I telling a diary story? Am I relating this as a person would relate a story to a friend over dinner? Or am I looking at this from a perspective of someone who has a little bit of a thousand foot view of the events that are going on? So I promise to talk more about how to make third person and first person kind of, kind of burnish the edges that make them a little sharp. So I'll start with third person first. So third person can feel a little bit less intimate, perhaps, because uh, you don't you feel like you're hopping around in other people's minds, or it feels like you are someone who is removed. Which, as I mentioned previously, can also lend this feeling of being a reliable narrator. But to some people, it may be a little distant. So, 
one way that you can change this is by adding more dialogue between characters who are not the main character. So it'll give a little bit more of a flavor of a conversation of a, a play or a movie with many, many sets where you know a little bit more of what's going on in the broader, broader sense of it. So it's a, it's a, it's a larger scope. Uh, so to, so to speak. You also can remember to include thoughts of other characters, which is very valuable. And you should, you should remember that third person allows you to do that. So if one person is saying something, you can definitely be in another person's mind and they are critical of it. They're thinking they're angry. They're trying to suppress their rage or whatever. And those are ways that you can, things can, can feel, you can communicate more feeling that way. Also, there are deep thoughts, ob- observations, discussions that you're allowed to have between different characters, secondary characters, main character with multiple secondary, with, with multiple secondary characters, various combinations that, uh, will give a little bit more fleshed out. I mean, when we are, when we are walking around in our, our world, we know you hear secondary, uh, things secondhand or whatever. So, so keep in mind that you can absolutely do that with a third person. Uh, perspective as well and make sure that it is not uh, try to try to bring a little bit more liveliness and personality to it so how do you make a first person perspective seem less myopic and self-centered which is the way I perceive a lot of first person stories that I've read it seems to be all about me 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 and after a while I, I tire of that so you can talk about how in, in that case, you can talk about how the main character perceives other people are feeling. You can do this in a variety of ways. You can, you can say, you know, as, as I'm talking, I realize that Joe Blow seems to be fidgeting. And I'm wondering if he is really not paying attention to what I'm saying or he's lost his patience with me. So you can push outside of that bubble, that sphere of, of a first person perspective to try to bring other people's perspectives in without trying to invade their thoughts, without having that omniscience that third person can afford you. You can also have the first person character perspective yourself analyze reactions of other characters, as I said, in, in as a given an example, expressions. I mean, you can you can really up the ante with regard to perceiving how other people are responding to what you are saying as the main character. Also, as the main character, you can try to initiate more conversations and dive into other characters' personalities or put them in situations where they relate conversations or stories or expose a little bit more of themselves. And so they won't feel quite so flat. That's the other problem I have with a lot of first person. It feels like the only character that's generally fleshed out is the narrator. And other people almost seem like cardboard. So Again, if that's a perspective that you want to explore, just try to keep those those little tips in the back of your mind and see how you can work them in and uh, increase the visibility of your other characters because I think that makes it a, a bit more richer experience and I think you might enjoy it a little bit better. It's a little bit more variety there. So I can't stress this enough, so I'll try to keep saying this through through all of these podcasts, but you need to think about your story and main character a lot because this is who people will identify with. This is who the main thrust of the story, the perspective that whether it's third person or first person, this is the main thrust of how the story is going to be expressed to the reader. So consider everything about this person. Uh, and it could be fun because you're, you're making everything up. It's all you, you own it, everything. 
and it's wonderful experience. So, so rather than think of it as like a homework assignment or something that's tedious, uh, try to make it more fun. Use your imagination. So what habits does this person have? What's their background? You know, did they grow up on the street, divorced parents? What is their temperament? What is the temperament of the main character? So in the Liliana Bachelor series, Liliana is generally a positive person except for relationships and she doubts herself. And it's not a surprise because I hinted this fairly early on, I, I believe. But uh, Liliana, a lot of that self-doubt comes from her background, from her mom basically abandoning her and her brother and also the sort of negative comments and relation um, relationships that she has experienced, interactions that she has experienced with her mom. So it, it causes this level of self-doubt. Uh, in her. So it's, it's, I, I wanted that to feel deep and well thought out. Why does she have this neurosis? It's because of her mom. And that plays very much into the story, especially in the later books. Is a person you're talking to educated or uneducated? How does that affect dialogue and word choices? Does this person have a family? Who are they? How many family members are there nearby? I mean, if she's got divorced parents or he has divorced parents, or is there a contention there? Is this is your main character somehow pulled between the two of them? That could be an interesting tension to explore. Do they have allergies, pets, friends? How many friends do they have? How close are they? Are they someone that has trouble keeping close relationships? Uh, do they have hobbies? What are their hobbies? Sometimes these are opportunities for development, uh, discussion between characters, ways to find common ground that can be explored. Other times it's a key part of the plot, and I'll, I'll give two examples of that. So, for example, in Liliana Bachelor series, Lili Liliana loves plants and orchids. And that is an interaction that uh, it's an opportunity for an interaction that occurs later on where uh, Stuart does does something related to that. And um, she it's, it's a way it's, it's a way to bring a little bit of intimacy between the two characters there. And with regards to Void Chronicles and, and Juliana, her hobby, one of her hobbies, rather, is uh, historical reenactments. And of course, her profession is uh, being a, an assistant curator at a museum. And so she has a, a strong familiarity with uh, weaponry. And in that story, the career choice and her hobbies play very strongly into it. It's a familiarity she has. It means that she knows her way around weapons. So it's not it's not beyond the realm of possibility that she could pick up a sword and know how to handle it well, reasonably well, because she actually has, but that does not mean that she is perfect in it or that she is a uh, an expert in it. Uh, I don't like Mary Sue's, and so I wanted Juliana to have some interest and some background in swords and and handling weaponry, but I wanted some realism. So she struggles through training. She is a woman. She's not as powerful as the male Templars, and she has to really learn how to use her smaller size but her better dexterity and her gifts uh i won't tell, tell, i won't i won't spoil that for you but she has to learn to use those in her gifts to uh to become more adept you should not be afraid to show struggle in your books people relate to struggle this is one of the problems i have with mary sue's is people relate to struggle it's something that we all that occurs to us in a varying degree uh, with really different levels of severity. Some things come to us fairly easily after a short period of struggle. Other things we struggle with our whole lives, whether it's tempers or, uh, you know, some people have problems with alcohol or drugs or anything. People have struggles in their, in their lives. 
Um, and people can relate to that. And I think they appreciate that. And so don't be afraid to shy. Don't, don't shy away from that. So, so now you're hopefully, hopefully you're at the point where you're thinking about your character and they're, they're not just something on paper anymore, but they've started to take a more definite form for you. You'll need to consider next, probably, as this is all gestating in your mind, what your workflow should look like. And I'll give you a little bit of a background on how I do this. And I'm telling you what I do. Uh, I, I absolutely, when I have a basic idea for a story in my mind, I think about it a lot. I drive Mr. Man to work and... Um, and I think to my, uh, and I, I'm driving home and I'll think, well, okay, so in this next scene that I have with Juliana, she has to make this really hard decision. So what do I want her to do? And, and I, and I do this and I do this in some scenes. I, I think over really many, many times to try to get it right because I, I want this to feel real. I don't want, characters can do something unexpected. We all can do something unexpected. You might have somebody who is very predictable and then suddenly they decide they're going to pick up and move and they have a good reason for that usually. So it's, so, but you want to be, you want to be consistent as much as possible with, within the parameters of how you've defined your character right? Think about your characters. Think about them. Think about them. And as you start to get these ideas down, what, how do you work the best? Do you need index cards? Do you like writing something down with your own hand, in your own handwriting, because you remember it better? Personally, I use OneNote. So what I do is when I get basic characters down, I start writing my story. I open up a OneNote notebook for my series, and I start enumerating tabs along the top for things like main characters, secondary characters. Uh, well, actually it's, it's, it's people really. And then I have pages that are main characters, secondary characters, Lucia's family members and things like that. Then I'll have another tab that are places and I'll have Templar places, necromancer places, miscellaneous places. I might have a tab that has research information about swords and historical places in the world here so that I can use that as reference later on. So think about how you want to organize that. Uh, like I said, I've, I have seen a lot of people mention that they, they use note cards, color coordinated note cards and a little note box. And that's how they keep tabs on things. But think, but you know yourself better than anyone else does. And so how does your workflow work? I mean, maybe you want a binder with tabs. That's totally fine. But start thinking a little bit more about the process now. Now that you've got an, now that you've got something to think about. Now that you've got characters to build up. Now that you've got a background to, to build up. Maybe you use Pinterest. I've heard some authors use Pinterest, and they'll have a Pinterest board that they keep private, and they just plug a bunch of ideas in there, in there uh, for their characters' inspiration. Um, you should have some cues and notes about your book. Uh, just things that, that you think about that stand out about your book that give not just your characters, but the location and the feel of the book. You know, if it's dystopian, you're probably looking at ruined cityscapes and try to visualize that as part, as all of this is coming, coming together. You, you don't need to have everything figured out. You just need to have the basic idea and you need to have, I feel, the ending or at least the direction that the story is going and figured out. None of the interstitial parts. I don't think about any of the interstitial parts. So 
conflicts and specific conversations that characters have, you can get so bogged down in detail. And so, and for some people, that's good. Some people write outlines that are very detailed because they need that those those guideposts in order to push them along in the story. That's just not the way I work. Some of the best ideas or the, the things that I'm happiest with are things that I have come up with on the fly as I've been writing the book. So a good example of this, if you've read The Void Chronicles, is Lucas. So initially, Lucas shows up in book two, and I was prepared for the introduction, and I knew certain things was going to happen. And as I started writing Lucas, he started moving in a different, a little bit farther along than I had originally had anticipated him to be. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. This feels good. I like this. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to move along with it because I like the way that this is going. And interestingly enough, uh, Ray Barrett, Bradbury um, said, your intuition knows what to write, so get out of the way. And I, and I do believe that, especially as you become more proficient at writing, you'll, you'll see this more and more. So Lucas started playing more of a role, and he was a great foil to what was going on. I don't give details away there. I think it's, I, I think the series is the best series I've written, The Void Chronicles. Anyway, I'm very proud of it. But, uh, he, he ends up playing a much bigger role in the series that I initially thought he was going to play. And that a large part of that was intuition. And I, if I had plotted everything out and, and adhered to that structure, then he might not have come, come up, but maybe you would have come up with him, uh, the way I did, um, the way he played out. If you had, note carded it because that's just what happens to you as you write stuff out. Maybe that's where you get more of your ideas. So I think it's just important to know yourself when you embark on this. And I think it'll be a happier process for you. So at the very least, you should have the beginning figured out, the basic characters, the direction or the end of the story, and maybe a few mid checkpoints, pivotal moments. Um, you know, they, they, there, there's a saying that if you put a sword over the mantle in the first act of a play, it needs to come down by the third. If you're going to make a, going to put something important in there and make a big show of it, then you really should use it. It's, it's unfulfilling to read a story and read a, have read something early on that seems very important and, and to, for it to never come to any type of fruition and to feel you were sort of denied or led astray, um, that you were pointing in a direction and you were waiting for something to happen and it was distracting and it, it never did. So realize that I have dumped a lot on you uh, in this podcast. I'm sorry about that. Um, if you have any questions again, remember, email me at podcast at hollyblackstone.com. Next podcast, I will probably talk a little bit more about intuition, uh, secondary characters, and uh, some other topics. Uh, so for now, this is Holly signing off. Thank you so much for joining me again tonight, and I will talk to you again.